Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money for my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match with you great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I use Anchor in a simple matter. I take my podcast episodes, edit them in Premiere, upload them to Anchor and schedule them and set my tags and my description, all that good stuff. Just sit back and let it distribute to all the platforms. It's very simple and very easy to use and very user-friendly. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Let's go. This is the Chase in the Frame podcast, where we interview people in the TV and film industry, talking about their journey, how they got to where they are today. We do this podcast for the frame chasers. This is for those in the film industry, going hard, let them know who we are. Frame chasers, we're, we're not chasing the fame, no, no. Tell them what we do. Chasing the Frame. This is the Chasing the Frame podcast with your host, John DeMarco. Let's go. What up, Frame Chasers? It's Wednesday, and you already know what it is. A new episode of Chasing the Frame. Today's episode 76, and I'm with Deborah Richards. Deborah is a producer, writer, director, VFX artist, colorist. I can safely say Jill of all trades. If, if, is, that, is that cool? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. To tell people I'm a Swiss Army knife of uh, filmmaking skills. All right, I like it. Swiss Army knife. All right. Um, but before we get into the episode, uh, we have to do some housekeeping real quick first. So first off, we have to thank our affiliate partners, Artlist.io. Honestly, the best music licensing platform for any type of content creator out there. Thousands of new songs every day and unlimited downloads, which is always a plus, especially when you're trying to find music for any project that is always the hardest part. Artlist.io makes it easy and simple. Guys, if you join our affiliate link today, that's in the description below. Then you'll get one year and two extra months for free. So check out Artlist. Check out and join Artlist, an inspiring music licensing platform created by filmmakers for filmmakers. Second, guys, we have merch for you at teespring.com slash stores slash chasing dash the dash frame. Not only are we selling shirts, but we're selling hashtag frame chaser mask for $10. Honestly, it's a comfy cloth mask and super stylish. And you let people know that you're a frame chaser on set. Third, guys, uh, check out Production Apparel as well. We have an affiliate link with them as uh, too. They have some awesome uh, camera operator shirts, screenwriter shirts, audio shirts as well. And on top of that too, uh, if you are doing anything for rap gifts, uh, they have that uh, avail- availability as well. So check that in the link below. And then on top of that, fourth, last but not least, it's time to we ask for that donation for the Church of the Frame, which uh, three ways to donate. PayPal.me slash CTF podcast. That's a one-time donation. Uh, two is Patreon $5 membership a month, which allows you early access to audio and visual content a week before it airs. And three in the description in our YouTube video below, you can send us cryptocurrency. And that goes straight to our uh, pod, uh, to our podcast funding and basically to our trust wallet. So you can basically send us Bitcoin and we'll have it in our trust wallet. And guess what? You can send as much as little as you want because that shit goes up 
every day. Uh, so, guys, let's get to it. And who's ready to chase frames? So, Deborah, first question I ask everyone on the podcast is, where are you from originally? Uh, my parents wouldn't tell me. <laughs> However, I was um, I was actually born in England, oh, okay. and I grew up in the uh, in the Middle East in Bahrain. Oh, and uh, moved back to England when I was about uh, ten or so, and then moved to Paris when I was seventeen. Then moved back to England, then moved to Florida when I was about twenty-six, and moved to Vegas about twenty years ago. Wow, you're a world traveler. <laughs> I am, yeah. Uh, so the second question uh, before that, actually, what did you like? What where did you like living the most besides Vegas? I have to ask that now. I tell, well, I tell people Las Vegas is the best country in the world. Because uh, it really feels that way. It's, yeah. it's so kind of like that. But um, you know what's crazy is that uh, I grew up in Bahrain, mm-hmm. and I think it's because it's the same longitude or latitude yeah. um, as as Vegas. That it, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. The dirt looks the same. The plants look the same. The, it's it's real similar vibe to yeah. Vegas, which is strange that I grew up there and then ended up here. Uh, this might sound like a stupid geograph- geographical question, but Bahrain, where is, where is that specifically? I, I'm not from. I'm personally not familiar it's, with that. Yeah, it's about 20 miles off the coast of Saudi Arabia. Okay, gotcha. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, second question I ask everyone on the podcast is, what was that? You know, uh, movie, TV show, actor, director. You know, anything creative that inspired you, and you said, "I want to do this." Oh my gosh! Um, I mean, there's so many, and even to this day, there's this continuously things that, uh, that that inspire me but um sorry about that it's all good no worries um star wars was the the movie that um you know i was born in 71 mm-hmm. so um you know star wars came out when i was still a kid yeah. and it just blew me away it, it blew me away and um from that I, I i kind of knew that i wanted to be doing this but i didn't really know that ever know that that was an option when yeah. i was younger so yeah, but that was the thing that started it. So I have to ask, as a Star Wars fan, how do you feel about the new trilogy? Oh, the new trilogy is garbage. <laughs> but, uh, it's garbage. I mean, it's... Uh, don't even get me started on Kathleen Turner and what's his name? Ryan, Ryan what's his name? Uh, Ryan Johnson? But, yeah, thank you, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, they just they just butchered it. Yeah. The whole Jake Skywalker thing. It's just awful. I mean, thank goodness for the uh, Mandalorian to... Uh, yeah. Put all our Star Wars um, fans back in, in, in line, so to speak. Yeah, I, I agree. I've I, I just been starting to watch The Mandalorian more. I actually missed out on like the first season, and, and it's awesome. Uh, and also, The Last Jedi is, is trash. Uh, but, <laughs> oh my god, it was like, it, 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 I say, I, this is my analogy for it. I know, it's a little tangent on the show. Um, but it's like eating Burger King. I, whenever I eat a Whopper, after eating the Whopper, I feel empty again, and I'm like, "What did I just eat?" Like, I, I'm like, I'm hungry again for like more. So that's how I felt with the Last Jedi. It was kind of like um, same thing with the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Did oh. you ever see that South Park episode when they're, um, you know, mad at George Lucas for raping the childhood? Yes, that. Oh my God, I actually just watched Indiana Jones uh, recently. The The Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, BTS I found on YouTube. It was awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was very fascinating stuff. Um, but anywho, going back to that Star Wars. Okay, so you watch Star Wars, you get that idea. You're a, you're young at the time, and you kind of get this idea of what you want to do. And I then I read something uh, that your father was an artist, and he owned a yeah. agency. 
Yeah, he owned uh, like the premier advertising agency in yeah. the Middle East when uh, in, in the 70s when, yeah. uh, when I was pretty small. And so this is well before the computer revolution, right? Of desktop publishing and everything. Yeah. So I'd watch him and his uh, team, they would um, composite images with, uh, back then it was Tint and Letraset. I don't yeah. know if you know what Letraset is. It's no, like a, yeah. it's like a, um, a, a film, like a sticky film oh, okay. that comes in different shades. So to, um, to shade an illustration, you get your knife out and you yeah. cut the Letraset and you stick it on. And that's how composites were done back then. So wow. Yeah, so I grew up in that kind of an environment, which, yeah. uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, keyed me in for a kind of um, sensibility of branding, marketing, advertising, yeah. art. Even, even that, too, like, that's very fascinating because you're learning about, you're, you're watching your dad do all these composites and stuff like that, too. And also, yeah. at the same time, Star Wars with composites and all that stuff, too, that's probably even sparking more of your interest to do that stuff as well yeah yeah i mean well it, it was the technology thing it was yeah. the explosion of technology because um i think you know star wars obviously it's futuristic but yeah. it just um it just captured captured my imagination with, yeah. the, with the with the technology and stuff and it came out at a time just when you could feel it but with computers coming yeah. out and vhs tapes being available yeah. and stuff you could feel this kind of like change in technology yeah. and this revolution almost and, and i feel like for me it started with star wars so when did you pick up your first camera or did you like you know as a child too did you like hang out with the kids in the neighborhood and like go and make believe you're doing like making movies and stuff like that as well what, what was that like yeah so um because of the advertising agency my uh dad had this uh um, vhs video camera that um no one really knew what to do so i kind of got to keep it and um uh, <laughs> I would I would film things and yeah. stuff, and it was funny because um, I got to keep it even when I moved back to England, and and so I would like with my friends we would we would see a film and yeah. then we'd recreate scenes from it when we were really young, mm. and I think we'd seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, funnily enough, <laughs> and um, and I remember um, a couple friends and I were thinking, oh, it'd be cool if we blew up a truck. Yeah. So let's let's get a toy of a truck, <laughs> and. We'll, pour, we'll set the camera up, we'll, yeah. we'll pour some gasoline on it, we'll light it, and we'll see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. So this is pretty valid. Yeah. Sounds, sounds so, so we yeah. it up. Yeah, what could go wrong, yeah. right? So we light it, and it doesn't blow up. It's just burning. I mean, we're like, you know, 12, 12 13 yeah. or something at the time. What do we know about blowing things up? Yeah. So it's just burning, and we're like, okay, well, well we need to kick this up a notch. Mm. And one of my friends was like, well, why don't you pour some gas on it? I was like, okay. So I pour some gas on the burning toy, and oh. of course the fire goes up the stream into the gas can. I throw the gas can. It lands on uh, my friend's garden shed. The shed goes up in flames. His grandmother comes running out with this bowl of water that she's flicking onto the shit. shed. <laughs> and, 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 and everything worked out, but uh, I wasn't invited over after that. Did you at least get that on film? We got the shot. All right, good. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Even though it wasn't a truck, it was a shed. It was her she yeah. shed, probably. But um, so so yeah, I was playing with the camera when I was young. But um, but then there was a massive gap. It's it's not like I was playing with the camera when yeah. I was a kid and I never stopped. What what it, happened? It was... What happened? Why was there a massive gap? If I if I ask. Oh, I think I think because um, you know, I got into music as a teenager, and um, you know, growing up so far away from 
where movies have traditionally been made in Hollywood, you know, growing up in the Middle East and growing up in England, I never, ever, ever thought that, you know, being part of that, that world was even a plausibility. I never even knew it was an option. And it wasn't only until like about, you know, eight, eight, nine, ten years ago when I was um, making short films for fun, and some friends of mine were like, oh, why don't you go to film school? And then when I was in film school and we'd go on school trips to Hollywood and blah, 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 then I'm like, oh, I'm just down the street from that. There's yeah. no there's no real barrier anymore. But it was never really, growing up as a teenager and in my 20s, it was never even, you know, plausible. Yeah. Did you, and it's funny because you, you said being in England, like England has Pinewood Studios of all places, like very legendary, very legendary studio right there. Sure, but, um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't go to film yeah. school in England yeah. and I wasn't, I wasn't a working professional in the mm-hmm. film industry. So, you know, to me the, you know, movie stars were on, on the screen. They yeah. weren't real people. They, it wasn't even a, it wasn't a thought. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a thought just yeah. because it was so far removed. I, I, I guess I never, as a kid, I never stopped down and sat and thought, Oh my gosh, the person on the TV screen is actually a real person. Yeah. Who sleeps in some days and pees and poops and wipes their butt? Like they were just like you know, fantasy like movie stars and stuff, and it's it it just it just didn't seem real. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't even seem a reality that that would be something that I could be part of. Yeah, and then but uh, so what made you go into the music route, if I may ask? Oh, um, I, I guess you know when I when, when I was really young, I just I enjoyed music and. Um, you know, in the early 80s, I, I started getting into, um, you know, music more and more as a teenager, because just naturally, and um, I, my, my mother sent me to go have piano lessons, and I wanted to be in a band, so I bought, like, um, I, I, I saved all summer to buy a keyboard, and then I found out that um, they were way more expensive than, than, I, I, than I thought, so I came back from the store with a bass guitar, Okay. and I told the band, and I told the band that I was going to be in that, hey, I didn't get the keyboard, but I got a bass. <laughs> and and um, so, yes, yeah, so I'd be in bands and stuff. And in the early 80s, there was the whole uh, digital revolution with music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And bands like, you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and yeah. samplers and sequences. And there was a famous keyboard at the time called a Synclavio, which was like $30,000 or something. It was this yeah. early 80s sampler. And I didn't have access to any of this stuff, but I'd read about it and it really got me juiced. So I would save up my money and because um, I couldn't afford keyboards, I would buy all the cables and I'd buy all the connectors and just all the cables. And uh, when I was about 15, I went to a local recording studio with a suitcase full of cables Yeah. and um, and they gave me a job. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and so I started working as a studio engineer based on the fact that I had all the right cables. What was it like working as a studio engineer? Like, would, were, were, at that time, being a, being that age, were you like, I'm gonna be a music engineer it, for the rest of my life? It was amazing because it was uh, it was in the countryside in England, and it was a uh, it was a local recording studio, and they would have um, there would be bands from all over England that would travel down to us, and they would stay for like two or three days and record like you know two, three, four tracks, yeah. and and I would be their studio engineer. So I got to work with over a few years ago to work with like a lot of different bands, a lot of different music, and I, I learned my way around recording studio pretty pretty right. well. Anyone famous that you met during that time? Oh, the um, not really. I mean, the guy that owned the studio, he was, he was like um, in a band in England that had, had a one-hit wonder. They were called Tempo Tudor. I and, know that. Um, no, I'm kidding. 
I was like, I know them. No. Oh, I, I don't even know the one hit wonder that they were. But anyway, he was he was um, he was from that band and he yeah. owned the studio. But no, I don't. I don't think I met anyone famous when I was working in the studio. It was all just local little bands and gotcha. stuff. But it was funny because it would be these bands that would. Um, it taught me a really important lesson about originality because mm-hmm. there would be these bands that would show up and they'd look just like The Cure and they'd sound just like The Cure. And I'd be recording their stuff and they'd be like, "What do you think? What do yeah. you think?" You know, trying to get my my opinion and i'm like it's great but you know there's a band called the cure right and yeah they look like you sound better than you <laughs> so um it, it really kind of um taught me really kind of uh interesting um lesson in creativity as mm. a teenager that you know to be original look at what everyone else isn't doing and yeah. do that yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because even the tr- like trends just happen, and then people follow like the trend line. Then you try to be different from the trend, and then sometimes you either get, get lucky and you're away from the trend, and you're like, wow. And then, or sometimes it's like you're an afterthought for like another two more years, and then you're you're big and famous in a sense. Right. Yeah. The, the old overnight success. But yeah. There's no such thing as overnight success. No. But um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh um. You mentioned luck, and I think that's such a huge part of um, all of the entertainment industry. You know, like in fact, day one at film school, they said you need three things: you need talent, mm. tenacity, and luck. Yeah, very good luck. <laughs> and yeah. so, you moved. Well, let me ask you this: because you let's talk about Florida. Yeah. I'd ask you about Florida real quick because I'm a big, I'm a big Disney World fan. Did you go? To Disney oh, cool. Did you go to Disney World at all during that time? Did you check out the Indiana Jones Spectacular show if you had a chance? Was it around? I did. I did. It was fantastic. All right. That's... No, I love Disney. And, um, you know, it's funny because I actually went to Disney World the first time when I was about eight years old. Okay. Because my, my father, who, who was an artist, he was um, uh, invited to go there to draw some concept art for uh, Epcot. Oh, wow. And we got, to, we got to walk around Epcot while it was being built. Yeah. And I had a hard hat and stuff. And That's really that was pretty cool. cool. I, uh, it's crazy because, like... Uh, that's it, it, so cool that he did the concept art. Like it's it's even crazier. Like they're remodeling Epcot. Uh, oh, they are. Yeah, because we we and uh me and my fiance we went uh for my thirtieth, and um, they're like, oh yeah, remo- the whole Epcot's getting remodeled next year, starting well technically in twenty twenty, which I don't know if it still is. I don't know how that's going, but that was like the whole <laughs> plan, like to reimagine Epcot and add like some spice to it or something like that. But um, sure. that's pretty that's pretty cool. Um. Uh, so you end up in Vegas. Now we'll go to Vegas. Yeah. So yeah. I read also you were bartending and you were filming people doing bartending tricks and stuff like that. That's awesome. I used to, I used to be a flair bartender. Okay. I used to flip bottles around. And, were, were, you uh, inspired, were you inspired by cocktail at all? Of course. I think every every flair bartender saw that and thought, <laughs> oh, that's cool. But the funny thing is um, flair is a natural extension of just um, you, you know familiarity yeah. with a task. For example, you know, like uh, Tiger Woods has hit the ball so many billions of times. One day, he just picks it up with the club and starts bouncing the ball on the on the club. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with bartending. I mean, when you pick up a bottle a million times out of a speed rail to go pour it, at some point you just throw it up and grab it. Yeah. And pour it, and and it all goes from there. But yeah, of course, cocktail was a huge movie, and and um, yeah, no, it was a really really fun journey because yeah. I started off in England, worked for a couple of TGI Fridays, worked at a couple of local bars. Did a few competitions, came yeah. to America, started working in bars in Florida, then Vegas called, came to Vegas. There was a huge explosion of flair bartending yeah. in Vegas when I came. 
and uh, friends that I know from all around the world from competitions all came to Vegas oh, to wow. flare bartending. That's awesome. And, and yeah, I think I got to compete like 50 times in five countries and got like three world titles and two national, I think. Holy shit. That's all. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you're doing that, but then what brought you back to the path of, of filmmaking? Well, um, it's funny because um, after bartending for a while, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, you want to own a bar? And I was like, sure, let's open a bar. Yeah. I didn't really think about it, and I, I guess I should have in retrospect, but um, with, with, within six months, we owned a bar. Yeah. And um, when we owned the bar, it was just me and my buddy, and so um, you know, he did all the front of house stuff because I was good with computers and technology and and all this stuff from, you know, from uh, some of my life experiences, I guess, and messing around with cameras and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up doing all the marketing. So I'd sit in the office and I'd build our website and I'd do our flyers and I'd take food, photos of the food and the yeah. drinks and film stuff. And and that was at the same time that um, cameras were going from like high eight to digital. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like, you know, just a little over 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, so technology was getting, you know, more and more advanced. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved technology going back to Star Wars, right? Yeah. And um, so I just really kind of like had this affinity for gadgets and gear and lights and cameras and computers and all this stuff. And so just like, um, you know, just like the natural progression of throwing a bottle and catching it, Mm -hmm. like, after a while, you, you start thinking of creative things to do with all this gear. So I, I started making uh, a couple short films. Okay. And, um, and a buddy of mine um, was in film school here in Vegas. And he's like, you know, you, you, you've got potential, but you should really go to film school. Yeah. So I went and enrolled for a class. I fell in love with it. And then I just, you know, threw myself into the program. Yeah. And even going back, like you said, you were making a few short films before you went to film school. What was it like making yeah. those short films? I mean, not knowing much in the sense of like for, oh, for school. Yeah. What was that experience was like? How how bad were those films, if I may ask? Not to sound mean, but how? Because okay. you were your first film. Oh, yeah. No, pretty awful. I yeah. mean, like, I think I did uh, three or four before mm-hmm. film school. And one of them was excellent and still yeah. stands up to this day. It was, uh, it was a 60-second stop uh, motion animation, okay. and, it, and it's really cute. But the rest are just garbage. I mean, cool ideas yeah. and, um, you know, original ideas and, and some interesting concepts and stuff. But, I mean, with film, you just have to know so much. Yeah. And, and back then, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Yeah. You know, there were so many gaps in my knowledge. Uh, it was just me and some friends messing around. And, and the films look like it. I mean, not to discourage anyone that's in that situation, because, you know, as a filmmaker, you all go through those early stages of, of not knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And and not that I know what I'm doing now. I mean, you're all constantly learning. It's such a deep subject. But, um, but yeah, I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. Yeah. Did, what did, did you learn anything from those experiences besides not knowing you not knowing what you did? Like, did you did you kind of uh, gauge uh, some stuff that you're like, oh, okay, I kind of know what I'm going to do now, like kind of in a sense. Not, not, not on the technical side because it really took schooling for yeah. people to show me, you know, the right way to do it. And then once once you know the right way to do something and you know the rules, then you can break them because yeah. you know how you're breaking them. But beforehand, you just you you you're just like. A, a bumblebee with a shotgun, you're just going crazy, right? 
So, um, but but one of the funny things that I did learn from that, I think it was my um, it was my first short movie. Yeah. And I had someone to um, she was going to do the, the 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 voice on the end of the phone um, as a character, and I ended up replacing her after we shot everything with someone else. And I, I can't remember the reason at the time. There was some reason that I think at the time my best friend was really bugging me to do the role or something. So I was like, oh, sure, we've already filmed it, but I'll give it to you. Yeah. And then I was faced, or, or, or there was, I can't remember the reason, but, but the end result was I had to tell this girl who wasn't getting paid, who was part of the shit production, who was, you know, dedicating her time to me doing this thing. And then here I am turning around and saying, oh, your bits ended up on the kite room floor. I'm sorry. Thanks. Thanks for playing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my first taste of, you know, I mean, this yeah. stuff happens all the time with films. Like yeah. things, things happen and end up on the cutting room floor. Right. But that was my very, very first taste of, of telling someone who I really had no right to, 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 to cut their stuff or to. Yeah, I mean, it was such a crap production yeah. that what, why, why am I making these kind of like big movie studio executive decisions at the end? <laughs> yeah. you, know, so you just need to feel the power. It kind of taught me a little bit of the reality of the, the, yeah. the, the, the human consequence of your actions in filmmaking. Yeah. So then when you go to film school, what is yeah. that experience like what, for you? Because I know it's different for everyone. Oh, it was fantastic. I can't... I can't um, I can't talk up film school enough. Now, I do feel this caveat to that. I do feel like there's a lot of film schools out there that are crap, right? Yeah. There's a lot of film schools. And yeah. anytime you get a lot of something, you're going to get, you know, everything in between, right? So um, good film schools are phenomenal. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad film schools out there, which are just a cash grab. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of film schools that, like, you know, pay $2,000 and you get a free $400 laptop. You know, those kinds of film schools. But um, this was a community college. So it was the College of Southern Nevada. Okay. CSN? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they got like uh, 40,000 students or something, but only 100 are in the film program. Nice. So you've got these amazing facilities, amazing teachers, really small class sizes. You've got hands on everything. Mm -hmm. uh, very dedicated staff. And, and it was fantastic. You yeah. learn set vernacular. Your film school buddies of today, your crew of tomorrow. Mm. You have access to all this gear that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Mm. And then on top of that, um, you're literally spoon-fed amazing movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, um, you know, go out to the parking lot and take a quick, quick break, and then and then go watch an amazing movie in the dark with my classmates and just be like completely into it. Yeah. And and then you discuss the movie and understand why it was a good movie and what the relevance of it was and stuff and um it was an amazing experience amazing yeah um and what was that first production for you like as a film school student like making that first film a uh, student film like what, what did well, oh. i'm a bit of an overachiever okay. so i did something a little crazy um <laughs> so I'd been amassing all this film gear, right, for, yeah. for a long time. And it, it was kind of like getting too big for my house. Yeah. So early on in film school, I decided, well, if I'm in film school, I may as well open up a film studio. So I opened up my own, makes um, <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I opened up my own uh, boutique soundstage. It was a 4,000 square foot soundstage. Oh, wow. 
um, while I was here, while I was going to school in Vegas. Mm. And I think I was the only person in the um, film program that had interns carrying my books for me to school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so while the other kids were working on their first project at film school, I was, um, you know, creating sets with eight foot flats and, yeah. and big, big things that you can do in a, in a studio, right? Uh. With like projections and oh, rainmakers yeah. all kinds of, you know, like going for it. And, yeah, I would um, say that's an overachiever. I would say that's really impressive also. That's really awesome. <laughs> dang. Yeah, so it was like, um, it, it was pretty ambitious and um, it meant that um, it meant that my work stood out straight away at yeah. film school. And um, it's funny because I remember day one of film school, it was, they were like, oh, and let's talk about the camera you have. And mm. some kids would be like, oh, I don't have a camera. Some kids yeah. would pull out like my own camera. And then I pulled in this cart with like four different big rigs of cameras that wow. you know, I'd already had and stuff. So I was definitely overachieving and yeah. I, I hit the ground running hard. And um, so, but but again, I didn't have the experience. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter how badly you, you, how passionate you are or how badly you want to do something until you have the experience of doing it. Yeah. You still don't know what you don't know. But, but it's good that I tried overachieving. It's good that I pushed the limit of myself because mm. I learned so much from it. Yeah. Um, in, in the last 10 years, I think I've made uh, 10 short movies now. Wow. And, and the, 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 the scope of them has just got so much bigger over time. And, mm. you, you know, the professionalism and the look. Yeah. And everything. Now, when you, now, do you still own that studio, by the way? Or is it? No, because here's the crazy thing. So, um, the whole point of the studio was that I'd have a place to create, yeah, right? Makes sense. But but the cost but the cost of the studio um, made it so that it had to be a viable commercial business. Yeah. And after owning the studio for two years, I got so frustrated because I was spending all my time um, maintaining equipment, cleaning the floor, booking people in, doing the accounts, yeah. training the interns, everything but filmmaking. So, so I, I decided to close the physical space so that I could concentrate on my creative work mm -hmm. as opposed to being a glorified studio administrator as a career. Gotcha. And uh, that, but that first production, though, in film school, when you're gaining the yeah. experience, what was that like? Uh, how was that experience like? You know, even especially working now, you're working with a bunch of other people that are in this uh, sphere with you. What was that whole experience for you? Um, it was, it was, film school was a very exciting time because, you, you know, like, um, it was just, everything was new, yeah. right? So it was very exciting. And um, the experience of having a crew where people are dedicated to a specific thing yeah. was, was new to me. Um, and it, it was just a wonderful experience. My, my first production went on to win a few awards and it was my first um, festival run, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, it was just a magical experience. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I, 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 I'm still, I still work with a handful of the same people from that I met in film school yeah. to this day. You know, some five, six years later. Was that uh, Boy Meets Girl? No, that was actually um, uh, one or two before that. That was Helixium. Okay. Uh, Boy Meets Girl was a um, was a short I did in film school that I then won uh, four regional Emmys in the uh, student category for. How was that? What was that like? Winning four Emmys, even being nominated for four Emmys, and like how oh that whole process. What it was, was ridiculous. It was ridiculous too, because yeah. uh, 
Yeah, it was it was crazy because um, I I I didn't even I didn't know the Emmys were even an option. I mean, like yeah. I made this I made this cool. It was and again, it was really ambitious because we were given this um, writing task in uh, screenwriting. It was the first screenwriting assignment, and you had to write a four page um, screenwriting thing called um, a screenplay called Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. That's those were the only rules. And um, so I wrote mine and I started off 10,000 years from now. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, that's going to be difficult to do. But <laughs> it's just writing. So let's just write it. And um, so I made this thing up about uh, uh, an Android boy meeting this um, this human girl who was in, like, um, frozen uh, suspended animation stasis. And, um, and, of course, on paper, you can write whatever you want. It doesn't cost a penny. You can yeah. go crazy with your imagination. Um but it was definitely ambitious and it kind of caught the imagination of everyone there. And then the next semester when we were in a production class, um, we were asked, uh, you know, what we'd like to make. And I, I thought, well, I've already written that screenplay. Let me make it. Yeah. And because I had the film studio, I was able to create incredible sets. Mm. So I built the interior of these spaceships and stuff. And, um, but at none, at none of this, at none of these points did I ever think, oh, I'm going to make something for the Emmys. It was yeah. like such an afterthought. You know, I made, so I made the short and the school was really, really impressed with it. And they said, why don't you submit it for the Emmys? And I'm like, how do you do that? And they yeah. talked me through it. And um, yeah, I got nominated for um, four categories, best director, best short, best screenwriting and best editing. Yeah. And then I went to um, Palm Springs for the award ceremony, and there was, you know, a few thousand people in the audience. And, and what's funny about it is um, I've been nominated four times. So I made, like, I, I didn't know if I was going to win all four, but I made, like, four little mini speeches. Each one would, like, build on the last one. Yeah. So it would be, like, this little comical beat to it, yeah. right? Um, but then when they, I guess because of, because I won all four, they announced them all at the same time. Oh. And so when I walked up on stage, I was like stumped. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I like I had no idea what to say because yeah. like my idea of my four little mini speeches was out the window. Yeah. yeah. So um and it was kind of nerve wracking being up there and stuff, but it was amazing. I mean, um at the beginning of the evening I went down there alone because I didn't yeah. have anyone to go with and um I felt really awkward walking in there and not knowing anyone. And then by the end of the evening so many people were like you know, coming up to me and yeah. wanting to know who I was and being really nice and generous with their time. So it was an amazing experience. And then, and then obviously my career changed quite a bit after that. Yeah. Uh, I actually tried to look for it prior to the podcast. Cause I wanted to watch it, but I couldn't find it online. Oh. Is it, is it online? If I may ask, it, is it like hidden somewhere on like well, Vimeo? It, it is, it is hidden because, right. um, so there's this weird thing, right? Like whatever you're working on, is, is the thing that you're most excited about, right? Yeah. And, but by the time that comes out, you're already working on the next thing. Yeah. So, so I guess what most people see front facing is kind of like old news to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a couple issues with Boy Meets Girl. I mean, it's, it's really cool and it won me four Emmys, obviously, yeah. but, um, I don't feel it's representative of where my skill set is today. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, me looking back at it it's like i don't want people to see that first and then say oh that's what she's like as a director i don't want to see her latest yeah. and greatest 
you know, I'd rather have the latest and greatest out. Um, so that's the reason why I kind of keep it hidden. I mean, it is online, and occasionally I, I, I take the password off and let people watch it for free. But it's five, six years ago. It was a student project. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But if you want to see it, I'll, I'll gladly send you a private link. Yeah, and sure. Any, uh, yeah. And if any, if any listeners out there ever want to see it, just, just hit us up, and I'll, uh, and I'll gladly give you a link. Awesome. Uh. What was that also like, uh, experience-wise, directing that movie? Like, I usually ask people also too when when they talk about their films. A lot of times on the show is, what was your best day on set? What was your worst day on set? And I'll ask you that with dark uh, dark lights as well. Uh, but for okay. Boy Meets Girl, what was the best day on set for you? What was the worst day on set for you? Well, um, you know, it was a, it's a short movie. It's, yeah. There wasn't a lot of days on set. Okay, there was only it was only like four four days oh, yeah. or something, but um, it was it was a lot of fun doing it. And one of the happy memories I have from it is in Boy Meets Girl. There's um, uh, the, the 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 android boy in the spaceship. There's a, a sequence when he's floating inside of the spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in order to make this floating illusion, um, we decided to um, build the set up, have it like ten foot high. Mm-hmm have him standing on a teeter-totter, like yeah. a seesaw that we call in England. And then we filmed it all in super slow motion and then had leaf blowers on stands all the way around his head. Oh, wow. So his head would be doing this kind of thing as he kind of like bobbed up and down. Yeah, yeah. So to direct that, it was me sitting on the back of the teeter-totter using my weight to push yeah. him up and down. But because of all the leaf blowers, no one could hear anything, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to have someone stand in front of me holding a megaphone <laughs> while I'm going up and down on yeah. this teeter-totter, speaking into the megaphone while they're moving it up and down. To, yeah. And it was just it was just such a ridiculous... I mean, what you see on frame, obviously, is so different to yeah. what is actually going on. And um, it's that movie magic that I always really enjoy and really love. So that was definitely my best day on set. And just a great memory of mm-hmm. like all this chaos and... Is someone holding a megaphone? So. Yeah, it's really it's old, it's old time direct. I feel like it's like that old time like eighties director where they have the megaphones right. on set. Action! Yeah. And screaming I'm like, at them. Yeah, I'm like more air, more air, less air, less air. Yeah, just that. It was fun. But my um. And my worst day on set was yeah. pretty pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Can we swear on this show? You can say whatever the fuck you want. Okay, it was pretty fucking brutal because the last day on um, uh. uh walked into the studio the last day of shooting i got a call at four in the morning um from the security company saying there'd been a robbery at the studio oh shit so i get in the car drive there as quickly as possible uh the police are there um some people had broken their way in and they stole like fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment holy fuck and it was the last day of the things so um it really set me back i mean it was really upsetting you know anytime you get robbed you feel violated or anything like that you know um but they took so much equipment and and the sets were all set up but all the camera gear was gone and the lights were gone and it was it was really horrible how how did you overcome that like what what i'm guessing you had insurance Um, well well luckily by that point um you, you know i had my whole film school buddies to rely on and yeah. stuff so there was, there was access to cameras to borrow and computers at school to finish yeah. stuff and 
So I had the means to finish it all, but it was very demoralizing, which made the, the win of the Emmys even sweeter. Yeah, that 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 totally caps the whole thing. It's that's really yeah. awesome. So after you do Boy Meets Girl, what's the next evolution or step or you know thing that you do? Well, it's kind of crazy because um, so I was doing freelancing while while in film school. Obviously, I had a studio and you know some skills and some gear. So I was, I've been freelancing all this time, but then after all the accolades of Boy Meets Girl, mm-hmm. I was like, do I really need to finish film school? I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm hot shit now. So I dropped out of film school. Oh shit. Bad idea. Yeah, bad <laughs> idea. Should have stayed. But um, they, they still want me to go back actually, which is funny and sweet. But um, I, think, I think the time has passed now. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I dropped out of film school to do the studio and to concentrate on freelancing. And I really thought, because of the Emmys, I thought, oh, this is it. The doors are just going to open to Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm going to be given the golden key. And all my projects are going to be greenlit. And yeah. I can make the jump to features. And I, I think this comes back to the uh, you don't know what you don't know. And I was naive at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been, which was bad at the time, but you know, in retrospect, it's been good because it's taken me those years of working freelance since then yeah. to really sharpen my skills. Um, after Dark Lights, I made a, um, a featurette, like a thirty-minute short that was um, really well received. It was called "Send Hollywood My Love," and it was a comedy with an ensemble cast. Wait, question? And, did, did you yeah, say after, you said after Dark Lights. After... No, no, sorry. After Boy Meets Girl, right. my bad. That's okay. I was like, wait. <laughs> I got dark lights on the mind now because it's like really recent. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, two shorts ago it was uh, Send Hollywood My Love. That did a bunch of festival runs. Uh, it got a lot of response. Mm. One interesting thing I learned from that experience, though, is if you're going to make a short, don't do a 30-minute short because <laughs> in festivals... Um, they can, they, if they're on the fence about whether to accept your work or not, yeah. they can always squeeze in a 10-minute film. A 30-minute yeah. film is like a totally different ask, right? Mm. So um, I think the length of it was restrictive to it being more successful. Yeah. Um, but it was still pretty successful. I mean, it won a bunch of awards and stuff. And um, so after that, I thought, okay, I'm going to write my first feature. So I write this feature film called Dark Lights. Yeah. This is going back now five years, I oh, think. Wow. And um, so I, 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 I wrote Dark Lights, and then I tried to raise money for it, mm-hmm. and I kind of fell flat on my face. It was really difficult to raise money. And I think the biggest problem was that people couldn't get my my vision. Yeah. You know, because I'm a visual storyteller. I'm not a... I'm not a pitch person. Yeah. I, I, I tell stories with, with color and sound and yeah. light and props and people. So I decided to make a 10-minute proof-of-concept short film mm-hmm. based on the main character from the feature. Yeah. And uh, um, so I've been working on that for a couple of years and just finished it like three weeks ago. Yeah. And that's Dark Lights the Short. And um, since that's come out, it's been generating a whole chunk of buzz. So question, what was the inspiration for Dark Lights? Mm. Actually, um, that's a really good question. I, uh, so Blade Runner, the, 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 one of my favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. asked the question, um, do androids dream of electric sheep? Yeah. That was the, the core theme at the, 
at the at the heart of the the novel. Yeah, in fact, that was the name of the novel. Um, so I kind of took that and I twisted it a little bit, and I was like, uh, "Do monsters have bad dreams?" Mm. That was the that was the kind of opening idea for it. Yeah, um, and it just grew from there. And then and then the other thing that struck me is um, little spoiler alert: if, uh, Dark Lights is about a vampire, a drug addicted <laughs> vampire. Yeah. And I thought Vegas would be such a great place for a vampire mm. because you could live in a casino and you would never have to see the light, ever. Yeah. Very true. Very You'd true. have a constant source of potential victims. Um, and then I started thinking about what a great metaphor vampirism is for addiction. Mm. And so I started playing with all those themes and yeah. that's the genesis of Dark Lights. Now... How long did it take you like, a long time to write that, or did it just flow out of your head like, oh, okay, I got this, I got this? I'm like, oh, I'm a, I can come up with ideas really fast, but yeah. I'm a notoriously slow writer. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm like, today I'm going to write, but mm. first I'm going to watch a movie. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. <laughs> so I'm really, really slow at writing. Yeah. So it literally took a couple years to write. Yeah. And then I tried pitching it for a year, and that stressed me out. It stressed me out so much. I, I, I decided to not do film for a year. Oh wow! And and then and then I kind of got pulled back into it, and um, and then I, I did the short. But um, yeah, it took a long time to write, and uh, I think I'll be I I'll be writing till the till till we you know start rolling. Yeah. yeah. Are you almost done with the feature? Are you still writing the fe- like? How far are you in the feature or the writing? It? Oh, I've, I've written the feature. Oh, okay. They say writing is rewriting, so okay. I, I think I'm on draft number seven of the feature. So. Wow, that's <laughs> that's awesome! Holy shit, I, I would love I would love to just see the progression of I, I I just find that fascinating when people like write different drafts and like I would love to see what the progression is from draft one to draft like ten or whatever, right. so on. And, like that's just well, so what's fascinating. Really interesting, what, I, what I like to do is I actually yeah. like to um, put it on a shelf, leave it. And then come back to it either months or a year yeah. later, and then and then I read it, and then I'm like, "Who wrote this garbage?" And then yeah. I, you know, stop okay. So you finish the draft. So how it goes? You finish the draft. You're like, "All right, I'm gonna wait two weeks, check out draft six, and then go back to draft six, yeah. and read it, and go. I can change this, this, and this. Okay, let me do that, and then rewrite yeah. it in there. Okay. Yeah, because I think after after some time, you you kind of you yeah. come back to it with a new fresh eyes, and uh, you know what doesn't feel right. Yeah. Will, will be Do you usually have other people read it as well too, and go, "Give me your notes as brutally as honest as possible too," or no? Are you no, like, "Let me just do it myself"? I, I, I prefer to I prefer to do that when it's finished, yeah. when I have a full draft, not not in chunks. Yeah, because, and then I got to be careful who I who I take criticism from, because, you know, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got you know, and and. You know, as a director, you're the final tastemaker. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to be open to listening to people's ideas, opinions, thoughts, notes, comments. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you got to pick which ones to to be like, well, that's valid and that's not. And yeah. I like that idea, but this one I don't see fitting in the overall. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't like decision by committee. Yeah. Um, but I do like getting feedback. Gotcha. Now, I forgot to ask you. I forgot to ask you this question as well, too. Uh, when you were in film school, uh, what like kind of, I guess, directed you to being wanting to be a director? Did you always want to be a director when you hit film school? Or was it like, I want to be more of a DP? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just I've always, I've always been the kind of person that was in charge, right? Yeah. Like, 
you know, like even as a kid, it was like, well, you know, she's going to decide what we're playing or whatever, you know, it's like, um, I just always took a leadership role in anything that I did. It's just my personality. Mm -hmm. And I think with directing, it's such a broad skill set, right? You've got to know a little bit about everything. You've got to know story, technology, lighting, humanity, leadership, uh, diplomacy, everything, Everything, psychology. Reverse psychology. (laughs) Reverse psychology. Reverse, reverse psychology. So um, um, I think the fact that I've had such a rich and varied life Mm-hmm. puts me in that position yeah. you know like i'm, I'm definitely a jill of all trades i yeah. mean I, I have this huge digital pedigree and then i've lived all over the world and i've, I've owned businesses and i've been a world champion and yeah. i've done this and i've done that so um so i have a pretty um deep well of um cultural references mm-hmm. and um humanitarian experiences to draw yeah. from uh, and another question I want to ask you too, which I I just remembered when we were talking about it, but also, who are some of the directors that inspire you as well? Oh gosh, so many. Um, I mean, all name the me, obvious name ones. Five. You need five. If it's that, I know Tarantino, Spielberg, yeah. Lucas, uh, P.T. Anderson, uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, um, Hitchcock. Um, Oof, so many. Um, was one I saw last night. Um, Christopher Nolan. Um, so many. I mean, Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, I feel like I'm just naming directors. Yeah. But they're all. They're all amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Are not Kurosawa fan? <laughs> um, not so much. Oh, okay. But um, I mean, yeah. But there's there's so much good stuff out there. That's there's true. so much yeah. good stuff out there. There's so, just so much. Good so uh, going back to Dark Lights, because now that I remember my questions I want to ask you prior. Um, yeah. Going back to that, so what was that whole process of shooting it like? And what did you use to shoot Oh, it? my gosh. What I used to shoot it? Yeah. What camera? Like, technically, what Ca- camera? And yeah, camera. Equipment? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, the main camera that I used to shoot it with was a Sony FS700R okay. with an Odyssey Q. Yep. It was shot, and uh, which is an amazing camera. It came yeah. out in 2012, and it shoots 4K RAW. Yeah. <laughs> in 2012, right? I remember. I only that. recently. It. I've had it for years. It's a workhorse. Yeah. Um, but it shot um, cinema DMGs um, RAW, which are like you know beautiful images, yeah. but but every every frame is like you know 50 50 megabytes. Oh my god. So. So the data itself was just ginormous. Yeah. Um, it's not a very codec-friendly camera, but the quality is amazing. I have uh, the Black Magic. That's what we're using right now on this on this webcam thing, and the the production 4K one, and that has the Cinema DNG RAW. And I totally feel your pain with how much of a yeah. pain in the butt that is for like Cinema yeah. DNG RAW, and 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 it's it's even like what's even worse about that is like. I have a 256 gigabyte card and it's only 12 minutes of footage. And I'm like, right. and I just like start crying. And of course, if you upgrade your cameras, uh, your, your cameras, something like that. Then you've got to upgrade your computer yeah. to, to him. This is my, my new camera, which is so much smaller. And this is what I'm in love with right now. Is that it's a Z-cam? Uh, Z-cam. Yeah. Zcam F6. And this okay. is amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing, amazing. 
not say enough good things about it. Um, but yeah, the experience of uh, shooting dark lights was very, um, it was surreal and it was very broken up because we, 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 we shot it over like two and a half years, but, wow. but it was, but it was only, um, but that's cause like I had a bit of a breakdown in the middle of it and didn't do anything for a year. Mm. And then I had a couple more breakdowns. And, um, so it was very like in bits. Um, and the actual principal shooting of it, like with the actors was only like three days. Okay. Uh, but, but a lot of the rest of it was like a lot of editing and a lot of, um, pickup shots and yeah. it's all smoke and mirrors. It's like 74 VFX shots in it. Yeah. So it's all. All smoke and mirrors. Was uh, a lot of that stuff that, like, I know against the obviously against uh, when she's when she's at the window can't speak. Uh, that was all VFX, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, CGI. I mean, yeah. even the tattoo on her back wasn't uh, real. Really? Yeah, like there's so much trickery in there. You were, like half of not not half about a quarter of the short was shot in my apartment. Okay. So it's it's all. It's so much trickery going on. I did not like that tattoo thing. Just blows my mind. I'm like, you just pulled a girl with the dragon tattoo. Cause like, did you ever hear about that story? Like, they didn't separate no. her hair or something like that. They're, like the hair had a part in it, so they had to go back oh. and VFX the hair, like the the space in the hair. Apparently, oh my god, in that whole movie. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, and like, even at the end of uh, Dark Lights, all that that facial transformation. That's yeah. that's not makeup. That's yeah. all CGI. Uh, what, and even the makeup on the junkies. Yeah. yeah. What 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 did you did you use After Effects, Blender, like uh, new? Yeah. What, what I used, um, Blender a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, After Effects mostly. Yeah. Um, some really powerful plugins like Element 3D yeah. and Video Copilot, um, Saber, um, particular for snow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of really powerful. Oh, Lockdown. Lockdown is really really powerful. Um, um, it, it allows you to lock a image or moving image onto a moving thing. Wow. So that's how you're able to redo makeup and things on actors. And the other one was uh, Saber? Saber is a free one. It's, it's, the, uh, it, it's, it's made by Video Copilot. It's yeah. what gives you that kind of lightsaber. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. Thing. Yeah, and I use that on the, on, the, on the font for dark lights. It's kind of like a okay. neon-y yeah, thing. Yeah, I saw that. That's really, that, wow. Oh my God. Like just, just thinking about that, like all that after effects stuff you had to do. Like I, my friend is working on a video and probably, and I know we're recording this right now in January and hope and your podcast comes out in like June. I think I was telling you if I'm not mistaken. So if, if, if he should be done with the, the project, hopefully in February, I hope, but like it's been a three year process or maybe, lo maybe a little bit longer. Of oh. him just doing VFX for the whole project, and it's like a ten minute short. And I'm yeah. like, I, 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 I understand your pain. The last month of editing, the last month of editing yeah. for um for Dark Lights, like the final stretch, when I got on it in late November and yeah. then all through December, I was editing um twelve to sixteen hour days straight mm -hmm. for a month. Yeah. And by the end of it, my elbows were bloody. Holy shit! Like, you must have. I, I hope you have a fast computer. I hope you have a very fast and powerful computer. Uh, yeah, I have a. It's, it's, you can't see it right now, yeah. but I'm surrounded by like three screens. Okay, yeah. It's an iMac Pro. Okay. It out and stuff. Like and all the control surfaces. You like also you have patience of a saint. I I like to say with anyone who has After Effects abilities because I like just moving a frame. It just 
I can't wait that long for things. And I'm like, just God bless you for having yeah. that patience. Like, there's a, there's a funny thing with VFX, right? There's yeah. a there's a motto in VFX, right? Which is don't give up yeah. because you just got to keep going, yeah. keep going, keep going, and you feel like it's never going to come together, and then at the last moment it just comes together, and you're like, oh, it's done. Yeah. Um, so it feels like that, but yeah, you. I mean, it, it did take a lot of um, a lot of mental, uh, you know, focus to, yeah, yeah. to to really hone in for that. Like, so it was tough. It's tough, and it's lonely. It's mm. boring. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's somewhat boring. Like, like you get to render each frame after and all that stuff, and you're just waiting for things to just go through and shit. My God. Uh, I, I swear, I swear, you know, every pixel yeah. intimately from Darklight. I mean, like <laughs> at the, you know, towards the end of it, you're doing these effects, and everything is blown up on yeah. your screen, and so like pixels are like this big. Yeah. And you're staring at them like this, you know, going <laughs> crazy. So yeah. Uh, also. But, uh, what do you think of the effects in, in Darklight? I, I mean, they're, they're really good. So, like, I was like, wow. Like, a lot of love, like, in those VFX. And that's why I'm like, you have the patience of a saint. Because if I was do, if I, if, it, if I was in your shoes, I would probably not have the patience to do the VFX that good. And they were really good. So, like, God like God Thanks. bless you and your saintly patience and your amazing VFX skills, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, the one the one that I'm really proud of is a lot of people say they love that drone shot that pulls out yeah. the building and goes up there. And I'm like, that's not a drone. That's that's yeah. all trickery. Yeah, I was fig- I was trying to figure out like I'm like, all right, this is all I know. This is VFX. And like cause the first time I'm like, did they go on the strip? And then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, that's VFX. I can I can now tell like. Yeah, oh. it's, it's such a heavy composite. Yeah, that in that one shot that we're talking about, those her legs, they're my legs. They're not even her legs. Holy shit! Wow. That's insane. And also, did you get permission to shoot in the cos? I think that's the Cosmo, right? That you uh, walked in. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, that <laughs> no, wasn't the Cosmo. What I did was, um, it was all very gorilla. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed being a gorilla filmmaker. I gotta say, I do get a little bit of a kick out yeah. um, shooting places I'm not supposed to, or or breaking the rules. I'm a little bit of a rebel at heart. Yeah. So I like gorilla filmmaking, mm. but. Um, no, we, we didn't have permission to shoot there, but what we did was um, we went there and kind of scoped out the joint. Yeah. And then um, I made notes yeah. of the, you know, walked it out, and this is 10 paces till this pillar and so on. Yeah. And then um, the actress who plays Joy, um, uh, Brianna McKee, she, her and I went to this dirt lot next to where I live, mm-hmm. and in the desert, Ground, we mapped out the lobby of the Cosmo oh, wow. in the dirt, and then we practiced it there, mm-hmm. so that when we went to the Cosmo, we just walked through and shot it, two takes, yeah, and how out before anyone knew what the fuck was going on. Was that a different camera because it didn't look like an the? FF- oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah, because yeah, the FS seven hundred with the Odyssey seven yeah. blah, 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 is like a twenty two pound rig. Yeah, you know those two those. Those two shots were, uh, were just uh, iPhone 10 on a gimbal. Okay, gotcha. That, yeah, I mean, you can get away with that easily in the uh, the Cosmo, too. Shh, wait, I mean, the Osmo. Yeah, the Osmo. Yeah. Or, or as we call it, the Infinity. Yes, that, that works, too. <laughs> um, yeah, the FS7, is that FS700, I mean, right? The FS700? Yeah. Sorry, I, I'm, yeah. I got confused with the FS7 for a second, but the... Does that shoot S-Log or S-Log 2? Like, I don't think it has S-Log yeah, 3, does S-Log, it? Yeah. 
No, S log two. Okay. But it's it's such a heavy, heavy setup because to stabilize it, I use a Ronin one. Yeah. Right, which which is like a big yeah. rig with, with yeah. the FS seven hundred. Altogether, it was like twenty two pounds. Yeah. So it's like there's no way I can you know get a steady shot with that. Mm -hmm. So I had to develop a support rig. Yeah. Which we made out of uh, an army backpack mm -hmm. with two Bowflex arms. Okay. And then these came down and then held the camera. And we called that rig the Ghostbuster because it looked like the <laughs> yeah. backpack. Yeah. So I'm on set when we were like, grab the Ghostbuster. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> well, um, oh, yeah. So that's a, basically you made a ready rig like for dirt cheap. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then is it, it took you three days with principal cast? I think so, yeah. I think it was just three days and uh the the, the shooting gallery was yeah. like where they where, where the junkies are. That was actually Mojave Film Studios mm -hmm. here in town. Okay. Um so there was one day of that, there was one day of walking around downtown and then the one day in the hotel room. That was it. And then uh was there any like Sound, being a short shoot, I'm guessing the hardest part of being on that production was the VFX. But am I wrong? Or am I right? Well, also, I mean, like, I didn't have a lot of help to do it, so right. I had to wear a lot of hats. You yeah. know, I was a writer, director, DP. Um, I even wrote the song at the beginning. I was editor, colorist, sound designer. So the, the hardest part was just basically all of it. I yeah. mean, like, kind of juggle so much. Um, the actual production days were the, the easy parts because yeah. that's when I had the most help. But um, the hardest part of it was, yeah, like just the editing, yeah. like thousands of clicks. Like this, this, this on my right hand is bigger than this on my left hand just from clicking away <laughs> millions of times. Also, um, I think I saw something on uh, Facebook that uh, showed you do the that intro shot, which was the, the table, the glass table with the reflection of the TV, yeah. which is pretty cool. You, yeah. you rigged up, uh, it looked like a, a um, dolly. Oh, was that the Z cam yeah. that you faced down? Yeah, I think, well, we, we actually, <laughs> that opening shot has been shot four times. Really? Right? Four times, Because it was meant to be a different shot, and it, it was meant to pull out from a TV and then look down at the table. And yeah. We did that in really work because the rig was too heavy. Um, so I think we reshot it a different way. Then I was like, what if we have the reflection of the TV on the table and we just kind of dolly across the table? Yeah. Um, and we did that. And originally it was, um, we had a kid singing from um, a Swedish version of The Voice. Oh. And he was singing um, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Mm -hmm. And my producer was like, we're never going to get the rights for Hallelujah. Yeah. So I had to write a song to replace that. And then we had to cast a boy. And then we had to film the boy. Then we had to put him on the TV and yeah. then reshoot the table with the reflection of the TV on the yeah. table. So by the time that we reshot it the third or fourth time, it was uh, Z-Cam yeah. underslung on the dollies. By... So I guess there were like three or four different cameras on, yeah. on dark lights. But that was that was the only Z-Cam shot. Did, now... To match that up, did you ha like? Did you ha was it easy to match up the Z log with the Sony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a superstar editor, right? So I've, I've edited like billions of things over mm. the years, and and I, I put my skills up as an editor against anyone in the world. I, yeah. I think I'm really, really strong as an editor, and um, you can give me any two cameras and I can match them up. Yes, yeah. that's no problem. 
Nice. Uh, so now that Dark Lights is out and about in the festival circuit, how's that? And also, I think I saw something like on, I think, when, uh, you know, we were talking and stuff like that. I think I was like seeing some stuff on the feed where was basically you're getting into festivals free, basically. Is that correct? Yeah. So this is like my fifth or sixth festival run. Yeah. Because it takes so long to make, make something and then you make it and then yeah. take it out to festivals, right? And um, so I've learned a lot about navigating these festivals over the years. And um, this has been a really unique experience. Within within two weeks of it being out, we've been given free waivers into over 30 festivals. Wow. It's now been submitted to, I think, 65 festivals. And about 40 of them have been completely free entry fees. Wow. That's, so that's, that's amazing. That's incredible. So that's really, really good sign. And in fact, this morning we just got notification because we only finished it like three weeks ago or something, yeah. and and, so, and we've already had two notifications of it being accepted in two festivals. And we got a notification this morning from a film festival called Kino in London. Mm-hmm. So I believe in February there's a theater in London that you'll be able to watch the short at. Oh wow. Is that Kino the same company that like does like those DVD restorations, movie restorations? That the K I N O or is that K E N O? Uh, I don't. Remember. No, it is K I N O, but I don't think they're affiliated. Okay, but gotcha. Uh, that'd be really cool if it is actually. That'd be. Cool. I mean, with 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 entering in sixty two or whatever festivals in literally two weeks, yeah. like uh, they're, they're all a bit of a blur right now. It, I don't know which ones which. It's but, also. Uh, it's gonna be really interesting year. Yeah, it's also really perfect timing because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the festival circus really start around January. So, like, just yeah. when they start, like, you know, that, I think what is it, Sundance is really the first big one that starts the push of everything. And then we go into right. the other ones. And just, you know, already two weeks ago, you just came, your movie comes out. And now the festivals are all starting to get find their stuff. And you're boom, 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 banging it out in the sense of. Yeah, and it's actually festivals. our goal to, to land at Sundance next year. So, oh, wow. You know, get, get X amount of laurels mm-hmm. and. and recognition throughout the year and then at the end hopefully that'll get us over the line sometimes yeah uh and anything else that you're doing by the way any anything in the works is dark lights gonna be a future film soon or or well that's that's the reason for creating the proof of concept i mean it's it's part of a bigger story yeah um so and so hopefully doing this festival circuit um doors are gonna open meetings are going to happen mm-hmm. um now i got something to show my vision rather than just telling people yeah uh, hopefully i'll be it'll be easier this time to raise the money yeah um but at the same time i'm, I'm not waiting for that okay because i i decided um my experience in making dark lights because i did so much of it myself i realized wow i don't need a 20 person crew I don't need the whole Hollywood machine behind me. If anything, it slows things down. Mm-hmm. And as a working director, you know, I do a lot of TV commercials and I, I directed a special for the History Channel earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work with crews and I've, I've, I've worked with, um, you know, all these kinds of different size productions and everything. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, to be honest, it can slow things down and it's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And the, the Hollywood way... It works on super big productions, but I, I feel like it can be kind of counterproductive on smaller productions. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you don't need a, a, a gaffer, a grip, and a yeah. DP to screw in a light bulb. Well, how many how many gaffers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. 
It's a group job. <laughs> That's why they have three groups do it. Yeah. So, um, so I decided I'm not going to wait around for the funding for Dark yeah. Lights, and I'm actually going to um, start shooting uh, another project. Yeah. I've got three films, feature films in development. Yeah. There's Dark Lights. I got another one that I'm writing with a buddy mm. um, called Flies Eat Dead Birds, and it's about a cult. Oh, okay. And uh, I have another one with a working title called Candlesticks, which is kind of a cross between Wolf of Wall Street meets Uncut Gems, set in Vegas. Oh, Candlesticks. So, All right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually, we start doing some screen tests the day after tomorrow for that. Wow, and yeah. And the plan is to shoot it with next to no budget over the next six months. And um, that's my plan. So I got that in the works. But then I'm also always working on um, mm-hmm. uh, freelance stuff. You yeah. know, like I'm doing a music vid for an ex-Disney star right now. And nice. I'm doing some, uh, uh, commercials for these self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm constantly working, working. But I do have the three feature films in development. Yeah. So. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and try and shoot candlesticks and just, just self-produce it. Yeah. And, and the same kind of a, it's not going to be an effects movie, mm-hmm. but I'm taking the same kind of approach that I did to Dark Lights. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited to see where that goes because it starts in a couple of days. So wait, you said candlesticks, you're shooting the whole thing or are you going to shoot that proof of concept? Yeah. Oh, wow. So are you planning on like doing the Amazon Prime route with that too? Or are you going to self-distribute that one? You think what's the, no, any ideas no, no idea. Let's let's. Uh, I'm gonna shoot it and see what happens. All right. Just just wondering. Just want to ask you that question. Um, yeah. Any okay. Anything else before we get into the second half of the podcast, real quick? Oh, let's see. What anything else that I'm working on? Not really. I mean, just just those those, those three. I mean, my commercial project. I mean, I'm constantly got commercial projects yeah. coming in and out, and I do have um, a really 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 big overall massive project but nice. i don't know if you want to talk about that in the next half or if you want to squeeze that out are now you, are you allowed to talk about it i don't want you to get in trouble yeah yeah no i can talk about it it's right. it's, it's a it's a it's, it's a bit of a dream okay but, but at the same time uh, it's good to have dreams right yeah well tell tell us before we get into that other part okay so um I think one of the big problems for filmmakers is that um, you need a film studio to be able to create. Yeah. Right. It's not like if you're an artist, you can just go to the park and draw in your sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Like um, you really need a lot of space. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need a space to keep your gear, and you need space to set up your lights and build sets yeah. and blow stuff up and all that kind of. You, you, you need space, wait, and wait, that's wait. why you exist. I have a question. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Is this what I think it yeah. is? Are you are you making a film studio? More than that, a movie ranch. A movie ranch. Wait, are you buying Wayne Newton's estate? Why is it up for sale? It was up for sale. That's why I'm asking. Oh no, not oh. Wayne Newton's. No. Okay, because I was no, like, because <laughs> I literally <laughs> said in the last few podcasts, I'm like, people should buy Wayne Newton's estate and turn it into a movie studio. It's like the perfect prime position. Like for right, so like that's why. Sorry, I got really excited for a second. I was like, "Oh my god, someone's actually doing it." <laughs> that's funny. No, I want to build a movie ranch yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah, I want to have a live work situation, communal situation mm-hmm. for artists and directors. Yeah, so, uh, on like anything from 
you know, a couple acres up mm-hmm. um, with tiny houses for the for the for the artists, yeah. and then um, you know, a giant soundstage, a virtual production stage, a back lot where you can blow stuff up, and then a VFX house. Wow. So um, we're looking at land out at um, Calico Hills. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm exploring that because I want to build a, a movie ranch. That is incredible. That is something we really need. And that's also a great transition into our second half of the show where we talk about the film community in a, in a general sense of the strengths, weaknesses, and what can we do to get um, get to the next level. And I, and I have to say also, do you have any pl- – like? Do you kind of know when you're going to break ground, if I may ask? Yeah, are you still, you're oh, still... No. It's real early. I mean, oh, basically yeah. the stage. So I've been dreaming about this for a year. Yeah. And then uh, a friend of mine who's uh, a production coordinator on season three of Roswell mm. in New Mexico, she, her and I were at dinner a few months ago. Yeah. And she was saying like, oh, I want to build this movie ranch in New Mexico. I was like, yeah. I want to build a movie ranch here. Yeah. And, um, but I'm so consumed with the artistic side of things that I need a business partner who's an administrator. Mm-hmm. And with her administrative skills, we thought, well, let's team up on this. Yeah. So yeah. we've been um, looking at, um, you know, our loan options and stuff, um, looking into our United States uh, uh, Agricultural um, Department of Agriculture Rural Development Loan. And so we're, we're in the stage of, um, researching that while researching uh, where we could possibly do this. Yeah. So it's really early stages right now. In fact, on Saturday, we're going to look at land. Yeah. But we're thinking like two and a half acres of dirt and we'll build from the ground up. Wow. I mean, good good luck. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, I We need to have you on the show again when you break ground. So yeah. that... Like I said, it's yeah. a dream, right? It's a dream. I know oh, it's a dream, but when when, oh, when we get, oh, we'll see, we, yeah, I'm we're working towards it, but no promises yet. Yeah, no promises, but my fingers and toes are crossed for you right now. So I hope it does happen for you. So I do have a habit of um, having these kind of like big ideas yeah. that, that take years and then steam through. So we'll yeah. see. All right. Well, let's get to the next part then. Let's bit that. Let's talk about the okay. film community. So we talk about the strengths, weaknesses, and what can we do to get to the next level. Uh, I, like I say in the podcast all the time, it's, you know, we need to talk about what we can do. You know, we need to talk about our, the problems here and we need to talk about the strengths here and figure out them out and see what we can do. So what are the strengths that you've seen in the film community here? In Vegas? Yes, in Vegas. Eek. Um, that never starts yeah. when we have an eek on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think of the film community here in Vegas? Oh, well, I have a lot of... <laughs> I mean, there's the number one issue I've always said, and people even on the podcast when we start this whole thing, because a lot, lot, all this is evergreen. So if no, if you don't listen, I understand and and all that shit. But everyone said like the same shit, which is we have clicks, and that's a weakness, and that's something everyone says every time on the show. But for strengths, people said like we have a lot of like good local talent, and you know, and I, I I do see that there is a lot of talent that needs to be used more. I believe I feel like they'll bring a lot of people in from LA and stuff like that. And I feel like it's time to really show if, if we can grow, if for us to grow, we need to start using us more. And that's, that's a, I mean, that's an, I guess that's a problem as well, but we have a, we do have a talent pool here. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I have more weaknesses obviously than strengths. So that's where my boat is. 
in the film community? I think because we're so close to Hollywood. Yeah. There's this inherent chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Vegas filmmakers. We're second choice. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. So, so I think because of that, it encourages clickiness because everyone without saying it knows it, yeah. knows that we're second choice. So I think people want to be in their cliques because they're like, well, I don't associate with all the second choice filmmakers in Vegas because mm. I'm the real deal. Yeah. And everyone's got that attitude. Yeah. It, it's a terrible attitude. I, I mean, like the people do, also another, uh, I mean, we're just going to go straight to the weaknesses, I guess, you know, cause it, it's, it's just a non-strength city until we find one. Um, but like another thing I've been you know, been saying and hearing and stuff that people here can't take constructive criticism also, which is another, I think, problem. And, right. and, you know, and it's I was like, hard. it's very hard to take constructive criticism. Yeah. You pull your heart and soul and, and there's also the gap, the gap between what it really is and what you think it is. Yeah. And, and you know, unless, Unless you're in LA or, or, or Atlanta or somewhere where you where you see what is excellent all the time, yeah, it's, it's very easy to be in a bit of a bubble here, and you just think that your work is good. Yeah, and I uh, and I was gonna say sorry to cut you off, but uh, Aaron Castillo was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he said like we accept mediocre. We need to stop accepting mediocre here, and I totally agree with that as well. In, in that in that in that sense too, because a lot of it, like you said, we're in that bubble and we all think it's good stuff, but it's really not, and it's mediocre and it doesn't really help us grow. And that's the again, I know you said you put your heart and soul into something, but if someone is trying to help you give feedback to grow and progress, you ha- like I feel like you shouldn't really be upset with that person with what they're saying though, unless they're right. like it's bad. I have nothing else to say. It's bad. Like if I if unless someone like goes. Hey, I. This is the reasons why I don't like it. Then that's more understandable that you know have that criticism there. But I think also, um, and this isn't a criticism of Vegas. It's yeah. just a criticism of the industry as a whole. Yeah. There's a lot of jealousy. No, that's true too. There's yeah. a lot of jealousy, and 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 it's you know it's just human and normal. I mean, and yeah. I think of myself as a really nice person. Yeah. I try not to everyone, but I've been jealous of other people yeah. in my life. I mean, I'm only human, right? Yeah, yeah, no, true. Uh, you know, I was watching Interstellar last night, and I was telling my buddy how jealous I am of um, Christopher Nolan's career. Yeah. Amazing. Right? <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Who wouldn't want that? So, so while while I'm like, you know, it's amazing, and um, like, here I am jealous of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm paying the four ninety nine on Amazon. I'm giving him money to watch his movie. Yeah. But um, so I think there's a lot of pettiness. In, in general, and when when people see something that they recognize is better than what their skill set is presently mm-hmm. on the amateur level, people it, it kind of spikes people's jealousy a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, another thing too is I always say, and it's like if you take a pie graph too, and you have like you know. 90% of the actors, I used to say 90, I'll say 85 now, percent of the actors think they're actors here and they can't really fucking act at all. And then you have another 15 to 10 or 10 to 15% that are actually trying to act. And I think that's where Vegas also gets a bad rap as well. Thoughts? Well, I think any, 
I, I think any city does, but but it's amplified. Hicks was so close to um, Hollywood, so yeah. we're under the, the microscope. Right? Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, Vegas is not going for it as well. There's a lot of great people here. That it's got some great film schools. It's yeah. um, some great studios. There's some people really, um, you know, whether you like their work or not. There's people doing stuff at high levels. Yeah. Whether it, um, you know, Patrick Kelly out of um, Indie Film Factory or the Mahal Brothers, um, you know, churning out movies. Yeah. Um, there are people. There are people in town doing things at a high level. Yeah. So I don't poo poo Vegas too much, but but you're right. It is very clicky. Yeah. Uh, I I think something uh, um, a movie night might might help break some of those click barriers and and encourage people to collaborate more. Yeah, I I, I agree um, with you on that one. Yeah, and, and that can bring us obviously to the next level as well too, where we we have an actual ranch studio space where it's like oh shit we have a back lot now now more uh actual productions are maybe more enticed to come here and then we can use more you know actual local talent or local even local local crew i would say uh as well and do things of that nature on that subject i do think the future of uh production industry is in virtual production Mm. like the mandalorian with the leading screen yeah that's what i'm talking about um the beauty and advantage of that is that you don't have to travel. Yeah. Right? And so none of the crews and stuff want to travel. But the thing is, um, the stars will always have to travel because they're all over the place. Yeah. So why not make Vegas a virtual production hub for the movie industry because we're set up to accommodate stars. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, not to mention we'll have the Hyperloop going to LA, you know, um, so I think, and we have the international airport and everything. So I think this would be a really great virtual production. Uh, so that's something we want to, um, build into the movie ranch. Yeah. And, uh, that might be a great opportunity to attract outside productions to Vegas, um, on the promise of, uh, you know, hosting their stars properly yeah. and providing the facilities that they need here. Uh, I, what, so hopefully that will, that will give us an opportunity to hire local and, all, all the great crew and people in town. Would that also help with the tax credits as well, too, for Vegas? Or would that, like, would we have Absolutely. to improve those as well? Would we have to, imp- would we have to improve upon the tax credits, too? Because I know they're not, like, the greatest thing. They're like this. Well, the, I, I mean, I haven't checked in with the Nevada Film Office yeah. recently in the last year, and so I'm not up on the latest, latest. Yeah, but yeah, um, the last time that I discussed it with uh, Danette Kahl yeah. from from Nevada Film Office, uh, I think we were something like 10th best in the country in oh, okay. film incentives. Gotcha. So, yeah, we're not as strong as like um, Atlanta yeah. or some other places, but it is pretty strong, and I think... You know, the fact that we have that is very encouraging, and um, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll keep, keep building on that. Yeah. Um, any other strengths, weaknesses, or anything else that you think that we can get to the next level that you want to say before we get to the end of the show? I want to see the movie ranch happen. I really do. Yeah. I think it would be amazing if we had the equivalent of a Warner Brothers type 100 acres on, on the strip. Yeah. That would be... You, you know... Uh, I think that, that that's the way forward. Yeah. To really take Vegas to be a, a serious filmmaking city. 
Um, it's interesting. I recently put a post on a filmmaking group on Facebook, mm -hmm. and it was just a simple post. It was like a bit of a whim, and I wasn't, I didn't really mean it, but it was just, I was just kind of testing the water. And the post was something like, um, I'm thinking about moving to LA, I'm looking for a large house slash warehouse slash studio and a communal living thing with other filmmakers who are super serious about their craft. I'm looking for my tribe. Yeah. And there was literally about 150 comments of which 90% of what people in LA saying, do not come in. Yeah. Wow. They're saying LA is dead. Like, it will crush your dreams. Yes, if you want to have your equipment stolen by a junkie at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yes, if you want to have your door kicked down, everyone's leaving town. Yeah. Go to Georgia. There's no film industry here. Wait to be invited. Um, so, you know, L.A. as a, as a movie hub is definitely on the, on, on, on the back foot and on decline for sure. Yeah. Um, Georgia, New Mexico... Um, Texas, Texas, I've heard as well. Uh, um, you know, so why? But why not Vegas? I mean, why yeah. not Vegas? And even, even like I know this international, but Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal too are pretty big in the film, <laughs> film world. I mean, I think uh, I was once told that either Montreal or uh, Montreal has like the biggest, one of the biggest green screens, and then Vancouver is basically used oh, wow. in. Uh, Vancouver is basically basically your TV and your TV series nowadays, and and movies as well. And Toronto is uh, I don't remember exactly what they what someone told me. He was, he was from Canada, so that that was like three or four years ago when they told me that stuff. Um, but well, with um with you know the pandemic shaking the uh, economic core of Vegas yeah. so hard, um, I think Vegas may be looking for ways to rebrand itself yeah it'll always be known as Sin city and, and fun town and gambling and conventions but i i think it's going to look to other other avenues of, of um you know revenue and, and cultural importance yeah and and the arts is probably one of the biggest important importances there is um last two questions for you one yes sir is what is your social media if you'd like to give that away Oh, absolutely. If you want to follow along with this crazy adventure we call life, please follow me on Instagram at Debbie in Pink. That's D-E-B-B-I-I-N-P-I-N-P. Cool. No E. Debbie in Pink. And, and if that's too hard to remember, Dark Lights the Movie easy. on Instagram. Awesome. And then on top of that, too, this is the last question. This is maybe the toughest one ever. What is okay. that last bit of nugget you want to tell the people who are listening today? I know you've been dropping nuggets all day, but what's that last one you want to give? A film nugget or a life nugget? Life, film, whatever you want to give. Give away that last one, that golden nugget. Okay. Um, life nugget. Good things happen slow. Bad things happen fast. All right. I like it. That is a very good life nugget. And I think it also fits the theme of the day as well in the podcast pretty well. Fantastic. Yes. I love that. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure getting to know thank you and talking so to you. 
Oh, uh, we will yes, definitely we will definitely have you again. Especially, uh, we will keep those fingers and toes crossed that you get that movie ranch because we would love to have you on again to talk about that. And absolutely. And figure and we want to know everything about your dreams for that one when 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 that happens. So again, uh, again, guys, thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Spotify, Overcast, Tune Radio, Anchor, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast. You name it, we're on it. And I can't do this without my frame chasers, and I'm just trying to bring knowledge to all you listeners out there. And I hope you're gaining some great, valuable information and learning something from it because we all have a story, and we all go through things at the same time or at different times. And I hope that the people on the show keep inspiring you to chase those frames. Again, guys, uh, thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great month. Have a great year. Hopefully, we'll catch you.